0: This, Ezra takes a group of 1,754 men back from Babylon to Jerusalem, and this is how he describes it in uh, Ezra chapter 7, verse 9. He, that being Ezra, had begun his journey from Babylon on the first day of the first month, and he arrived in Jerusalem on the first day of the fifth month, for the gracious hand of his God was on him. Now, that would be roughly our April 1st and August 1st. Our calendar would correspond in that time frame. So, a period of four months, all of April, June, July, and uh, or all of April, May, June, July, and then, of course, they arrived on August 1st, so that would be four months of traveling. Daniel and his companions had to be exhausted, and POWs folks would not have been treated with hospitality, so they would have been the labor for the trip. After more than 100 days of rugged travel, they would have entered the city of Babylon for the very first time most likely through the Ishtar gate. The Ishtar gate stood 47 feet high and 100 feet wide and was used as the returning, conquering king's processional gate. And so here they come into the city. And the picture that you see on the screen is the actual Ishtar Gate. It has been reconstructed from the ruins of Babylon. It is in the museum in Berlin, uh, Germany. And that's only the outer gate. The outer gate was even smaller than the inner gate. The inner gate, which they have in the museum, is in crates and boxes. And I kind of think it's too, it's too big to erect inside the building. And so only the outer gate with those beautiful enameled uh, bricks and stones, and the reliefs of the lions and the dragons on it. It was just an incredible. And that was Daniel's first glimpse of the city as they proceeded through. And his first day, this is what happens in chapter 1, verse 3 and following. Then the king ordered Ashpenaz, his chief of staff, to bring to the palace some of the young men of Judah's royal family and other noble families who had been brought to Babylon as captives. Select only the strong, healthy, and good-looking young men, he said. Make sure that they are well-versed in every branch of learning, are gifted with knowledge and good judgment, and are suited to serve in the royal palace. Train these young men in the language and the literature of Babylon." And they were to be trained for three years, then they would enter the royal service. Now, they they are put through several stages of preparation here, and the first stage is that of an examination. They were to be examined physically to make sure that they were strong. There was a strength test. These guys were to be capable of being able to do whatever was required of them in the palace. A weakling could not and would not suffice for this job. And so they had to be strong physically. But, but strength, folks, is, is more than physical. Uh, they needed emotional strength. I mean, in, in a palace situation, there's a lot of ups and downs emotionally, and, and, you, and you don't want somebody who wears their emotions on their sleeve to be working on your staff if you're the king of the most powerful nation in the world. Monarchs were notorious for being demanding and brutal. So this was no place to, to be emotional publicly. And and strength of character was also required of them. Palace gossip would not be tolerated. To work in the king's service, you would need the capacity to keep a confidence. And so they were looking for physical strength, mental and emotional strength, and they were looking for character strength. What's more, since they would be working in the presence of the king and representing the king as they worked with other people, these young men had to be handsome. Now, I don't know what handsome meant back then. You know, every culture, every generation has a different idea of what's good-looking and what's not good-looking. All I can tell you is that by Babylonian standards, these young men were recognized as being the cream of the crop. Those of royal heritage were often taken captive first simply because they were better educated and they had a concept of what palace etiquette was probably all about. And you say, wow, that was a lot. Well, to be honest with you, I'm not sure that any of these expectations are unrealistic, even today. As a Christian, your first and foremost service is to the King of Kings, regardless of where you draw your paycheck. Your employer has the right to expect you to be a strong person. Now, you may not require physical strength in your job, but you will be required to have mental, emotional, and moral strength in the job that you hold. And by the way, these principles we're going to talk to you about this morning don't just apply at the workplace if you think, hey, I'm not starting a new job tomorrow. As a matter of fact, I don't even work outside, Uh, you know, I'm retired. Hey, these principles apply whether you're in the employment field or you're not in the employment field right now. These are principles that guide every aspect of our lives. Be a strong person. There will be ups and downs in life. Don't wear your feelings on your sleeve, especially at work. And you will hear things that are spoken in private. Be strong enough to keep a confidence. If you wouldn't steal another person's wallet or purse, then don't steal from them their private concerns that they've entrusted to you. It's not your right to steal them and to give them to somebody else. You keep a confidence. Gossip in the workplace, as well as plenty of other places, can be rampant. Don't be a part of something so crass as gossip. If gossip comes to you, let it die at your feet. Don't keep kicking its story on down the road for other people to hear. Live and work. Live and work so that your lifestyle never takes away from the glory of God. Because let me tell you something. If you're a Christian and you're a lousy employee, do you you know what your boss is gonna conclude about your faith? And more importantly, what he or she is gonna conclude about your Lord? If you're lousy, then they're going to assume your faith is lousy and that the God you serve is lousy too because we we look at other people's actions and we draw our conclusions from their actions. If you are a model worker, if you do your best, if you're honest and you can be trusted and people like you, if you are a model employee, then they will have an understanding of why your faith is important and why God is important. The the, the second uh, stage was the informational stage. Before Daniel ever did job one for Nebuchadnezzar, he had to be trained in Babylonian ways uh, because Nebuchadnezzar did not want to surround himself by anything less than the best. This was kind of a master race sort of ideal that he had here, so all of the propaganda would be poured into their minds and this was going to be a three-year process. And then thirdly, there was the orientation stage, and and this was in addition to the information. This is where Nebuchadnezzar wanted to make some changes in them, and this was more to demoralize them as workers, and and, and he did that in a couple different ways. Uh, Nebuchadnezzar said, it's okay if you want to be Jewish on the outside, but I want you to be Babylonian on the inside. Now, you got to know, folks, Nebuchadnezzar was not a nice guy. He doesn't say that in Daniel, Daniel doesn't write it that way, you know, but history records it that way. And what we know about him is that today, if he were alive today, he would be labeled a terrorist. He would make Hitler and Stalin and Bin Laden and Kim Jong-il and Idi Amin and all of the rest of history's bad guys look like good neighbors. That's how nasty Nebuchadnezzar was. Now notice what happens. In verses 6 and 7 of chapter 1, it says, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah were four of the young men chosen from all of the tribe of Judah the chief of staff renamed them with these Babylonian names. Daniel was called Belteshazzar, Hananiah was called Shadrach, Mishael was called Meshach, Azariah was called Abednego. Now, I don't want you to miss the fact that says they were all from the tribe of Judah. This is is interesting to me because when you you see the ancient ruins of, of Babylon, one of the principal reliefs on the walls was that of the power of the lion. And in Judah, the tribe of Judah was the tribe out of which the Savior would come. Jesus was a descendant of the tribe of Judah, and in Scripture he is called the Lion of Judah. There's no mistaking these young men fill an important role as God begins to work in this situation. But I'm telling you, it gets real personal real quick. Their cherished names are changed. now. Put put yourself in Daniel's position for just a moment. This is getting really awkward and personal because the king is basically saying, I don't like your name. We're going to change your name. Now, I've grown up all my life with the name Tom. I'm sure there are better names out there, but I'm rather partial to this one. It's how I'm, you know, called. It's how I respond and answer. I rather like it. And if I go to work for a new employer and he says, I don't like the name Tom. From here on out, I'm going to call you Goober. I would have to really like that job to stay there and be a goober, all right? It, you know, and I would have a choice. Daniel didn't have a choice. And, and actually changing my name has a lot less significance and consequences than changing Daniel and his friends' names. And, and, and I'll show you why here in a minute. Daniel didn't have an option because you're a POW. You know, you, 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 you push back on this when the king says, fine, you don't want a new name? Off with your head, and I'll just get another POW to take your place. That's the bottom line here. Daniel means, God is my judge. Hananiah means, Jehovah is gracious. Mishael means, who is like God? Azariah means, Jehovah is my helper. All four of their names were significant godly names that bore testimony to their deep faith in the power of God and God's word. Catch the significance of their new names. Nebuchadnezzar says, Not going to be those anymore. Here it is. Daniel became Belteshazzar, the keeper of the treasure of Baal. Oh, what? This is like putting a knife in and twisting it. The the idol Baal was was a thorn in the side of the Israelites uh, and and the Hebrew people throughout history. And now Daniel's name reflects this God. Hananiah becomes Shadrach, commander or command of the moon god. Mishael becomes Meshach, the goddess Shach. He's just named directly after the goddess Shach. Azariah became Abednego, the god of fire. Each one of them loses their spiritual heritage with the god of the Bible and is a reflection of the idolatry of Babylon. That would have been painful. But it's interesting. When you read through the book of Daniel, we we don't remember them as Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. With the exception of Daniel, we remember the others by their Babylonian names, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Alan Phillips told me that these were Babylonian realtor names, your shack, my shack, and a bungalow. (laughs) I don't know if that's accurate or not, but I really trust Alan. He knows his stuff, let me tell you. (laughs) Nevertheless, these Hebrew teenagers accepted their new names. Then came the last bit of the orientation. Look in verse 5, first of all. It says, The king assigned them a daily ration of food and wine from his own kitchens. Then jump down to verse 8. But Daniel was determined not to defile himself by eating the food and the wine given to them by the king. He asked the chief of staff for permission not to eat these unacceptable foods. Now, God had given the chief of staff both respect and affection for Daniel. But he responded... I'm afraid of my lord, the king, who has ordered that you eat his food and wine. If you become pale and thin compared to the other youths your age, I'm afraid the king will have me beheaded. Daniel spoke with the attendant who had been appointed by the chief of staff to look after Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Please test us for ten days on a diet of vegetables and water, Daniel said. At the end of the ten days, see how we look compared to the other young men who are eating the king's food. Then then make your decision in light of what you see. Nebuchadnezzar worked hard at transforming these captives. He changed, first of all, what went into their minds. He dumped in three years of education. He changed what went into their ears. They were no longer carrying around their Hebrew names. They were now carrying around Babylonian names and had to answer when they heard those names. And now he wants to change what goes into their mouths. All through this time, it's to change their intellectual, emotional, and physical perspectives so that it would wipe away any semblance of loyalty to their previous nation or to their previous spiritual relationship with God. Folks, we aren't told how many of the 70-some-odd actually capitulated to the demands of Nebuchadnezzar, but we know of four who said no to the diet. Now, when I look at this, I, I think, you know... Daniel is more than 500 miles away from home as the crow flies, and you know his family is never going to know about this. You know, Daniel could have said, okay, okay, I want to survive this ordeal, and maybe if I compromise my convictions here and I live like the Babylonians, then God will use me in some way to reach the Babylonians with the real truth. You know what they say, when in Rome, do as the Romans. Well, actually, Daniel didn't say that because in 605, Rome was just a settlement. It wasn't the great power that it became. But when you're in Babylon, do as the Babylonians, you get the picture. Who could have blamed Daniel for wanting to appease the king? You see, Nebuchadnezzar had had a habit of throwing people in the furnace that he disagreed with. As a matter of fact, the prophet Jeremiah describes one person who Nebuchadnezzar had slow roasted while other people watched. Not a nice guy. Sometimes I hear the same lack of logic being used today to justify behavior that is not and clearly not pleasing to God. Oh, this love affair that I'm in, oh, it must be ordained of God. Who else could have brought the two of us together in such compatibility? No. Or, if my boss knows I'm willing to be dishonest when he asks me to falsify a report, then I'll get promoted and make more money. And if I make more money, then I can give more to God's work, so it's okay, right? Or, if I cheat on the test, I'll get a better grade, and with a better grade, I'll get a scholarship, and a scholarship is really a lot more important than one lousy test where I wasn't quite so honest, right? Regardless of the multiple reasons we can think to justify his compromise, Daniel did not compromise here. Even at such a young, impressionable age, he had learned an invaluable lesson. It is never right to do something wrong under the guise of accomplishing something good. I like the way that author David Jeremiah words it. Listen to this. It's never right to do the wrong in order to do right. It's never right to do wrong in order to do right. Write that one down in your heart. Make sure you live by that principle Make sure in your life, doing what is right always trumps the end, justifies the means philosophy. Here's another important lesson. Choose your battles carefully. You will not take every hill you fight on. I look at Daniel and I marvel at such wisdom. Daniel did not insist that his Hebrew education was just as good as any old Chaldean university education. And truth be known, what Daniel had learned of God in Judah was probably far greater, well, undoubtedly far greater than anything he was going to learn in three years in Babylon. But Daniel didn't turn his back on on the education. Learning is always a good thing. Truth is truth, no matter where you hear it or read it. After all, all truth is God's truth. He is truth. Remember, Jesus said, I am the way, I am the truth. So truth is, is truth, and it's of God. And I know Daniel had to weed out a lot of propaganda that was in that stuff, but he was certainly smart enough to know what was valuable and what wasn't valuable. Nowhere, nowhere did God ever condemn learning and gaining more knowledge. Many of us would have been defiantly standing on principle and say, you see this diploma here, my education is just as good as anything you have to offer here. But that would have defeated the opportunity to die on the right hill. You see, if your boss requires you to learn special skills or to go for extra training, then go. Learn those extra skills. Do them to the best of your ability. Study hard and gain those skills because when you gain more knowledge, it's a blessing to you as well as it being a blessing to the employer who has hired you. You make the most of those opportunities. Those are good moments in time. So Daniel said, okay, fine, I'll be glad to go three more years to study. And Daniel could, if he wanted to, have made a big deal about the name, but he didn't. He learned to live with a different name. Nowhere did God condemn a name change, even if it reflected something that you didn't necessarily believe. We, on the other hand, might have overreacted. Change my name? Well, I'm not going to change my name. That's unreasonable. Nobody has the right to ask me to change my name. Perhaps perhaps we are too quick to take offense at things. You ever notice that? Daniel learned that he could compromise in those areas where God had not given a specific directive, even when that compromise was uncomfortable. Compromise can be a good thing, you know, when it doesn't cause you to let down on your convictions. Compromise has been defined as the ability to cut a pie so that everybody thinks he got the biggest piece. I like that definition. Learn to compromise when you can without violating your godly convictions. Let someone else think they got the bigger piece of the pie. Failure to compromise when you can is dying on the wrong hill. Now, when it came to the diet, this is where Daniel drew the line. <laughs> and I know what you're thinking. Seriously? The food? I mean, you're going to go three more years to school, and you're okay with that? They change your name to be that reflection of an idol, and you're okay with that? And the king says, I want you to have the best food in the land, and you say, thanks, but no thanks. Really, Daniel? Well, what we don't understand, first of all, at a a casual reading, is it has nothing to do with the food being good, because the king would have had the best food, and it didn't have anything to do with Daniel not liking the delicacies of a new culture. I'm sure he would have enjoyed the taste of those delicacies. Now, when when I was in India for that period of time, the the very smell of curry didn't settle too well with me, but it had nothing to do with, you know, liking the culture or liking the people. It was just one of those things that didn't react well with me. It's not even that with Daniel. That's not the problem. It's not like, oh, the smell of that Babylonian this or that, I can't... Wasn't that? It was the fact that the food that was being offered to him violated what God said a Hebrew young man was allowed to eat. God said there are clean foods and unclean foods, and among the unclean foods were things like pork and shellfish. And and, and to add to that was the fact that all of the meat that would have been served in the palace of the king would have been offered to an idol in a religious pagan ceremony before it was served as food. And so Daniel says, I can't eat what God has said is unclean, and I can't eat what has been offered as a sacrifice to a pagan God and maintain my convictions before the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Compared to a name change to us, it may seem like a little thing, but when God says you don't do this, Daniel says, I'm sticking with God. Now, as as we wind up our our study this morning, this this is what I want you to know. Daniel handled this in the right way, because you're thinking, wait a minute, you said that Nebuchadnezzar was a nasty guy, and that, you know, when you said no to the king, it was off with your head, and Daniel drew a line in the sand here, yes, but he did it in such a way that brought about a victory. Uh, Listen to this. Daniel, first of all, was likable. Did you notice it said that the chief of staff liked Daniel? You know, most people seem to like Daniel. Even he gets to the point where, where he's one of the trusted advisors to Nebuchadnezzar, and he has the opportunity to introduce God to Nebuchadnezzar because he was a likable guy. I think Daniel worked at being pleasant. You can do that, you know. Okay, this is not a spiritual gift, being pleasant. You can live your life as a curmudgeon if you want to, but there's nothing spiritual about that, let me tell you. Now, you are born with the looks that you've got. You can work on that a little bit, but we're limited. We're we're stuck with who we are. And and you're born with certain abilities, and I think sometimes certain likes and dislikes. Some of my likes and dislikes go all the way back to my childhood. You know, we're we're, we're born with that. But anybody, anybody can be pleasant. You can work at being likable. You may have to work hard at it, but work hard at it. Because everybody wants to be around a pleasant person. And when you're not pleasant, what, what kind of a reflection is that on your faith? And so Daniel was likable, and, and everybody enjoyed him, and so he made that first kind of an impression. And when you are likable, people will appreciate you and your faith, and it will pay rich dividends in relationships. Second thing, he was discreet. He took Ashpenaz aside and spoke privately. He didn't get the rest of the guys together and print posters and pick at the palace. He didn't rent a loudspeaker and broadcast his complaints that the king's food was as rich and sickening as the king himself. No, he used tact. He just drew the king's assistant aside and said, okay, I'm going to talk to you about this issue. Just the two of us here. We're going to make a big deal about this. And so he was discreet. When you have an issue with your boss, when you have an issue with somebody else at work, when you have an issue with someone in your home, when you have an issue with someone in your social circles, be discreet. Use some common sense. Don't blurt it out in front of everybody. Draw them off to the side and talk to them privately because there's not the chance of hurting feelings that way. Because if you embarrass somebody, the chances of them wanting to meet you halfway get slim real quick. And then third thing was he was non-threatening. Daniel didn't look at the spread on the table and said, you want me to eat what? My God says this food is garbage. And that would have thrown up the walls and the barriers all the way around. To the contrary, the Scripture said he asked the chief of staff for permission not to eat. Wow, he's doing this the right way. And when the chief of staff expressed fear that he'd be beheaded if he didn't do it right, Daniel doesn't say, that's no skin off my nose. Your neck is your neck. No. He took again. He he, he worked with the man, because he didn't want to see anything come to harm to this man. He didn't want to see harm come to anybody. And so he takes him aside, and then Daniel says, "I, I have an idea. I've got an idea. Let's Try this. When our granddaughter Addie isn't sure she wants to do something, she will oftentimes say this, I've got an idea. And then she explains the idea and then says, deal? And gives, and gives us a thumbs up. Well, you know, when she does that, it's awful hard, you know, for grandpa to resist that. I mean, I've got an idea. And she goes home with the idea. And it's such a lovable approach. That's exactly what Daniel did. He goes to Nebuchadnezzar. Here's the solution. Deal? And the chief of staff said, Deal? And the deal was simply this, give us 10 days. We don't have to broadcast this. We don't have to make everybody else do it. You just let the four of us go on this diet. We're just going to eat vegetables and fruit probably and water for the next 10 days. And and then you take a look at us and, and you draw your conclusion at that point in time. Okay, that's a reasonable request. When you are reasonable in talking to other people, your boss and other employees, people tend to be reasonable back. And he said, okay, let's do this. And so Daniel and his friends spent 10 days, and by the way, the number 10 in the Scripture is a number of completeness, and uh, it was a complete period of time, and at the end of that 10 days, well, let's see what happens. In chapter 1, verses 14 through 16, the attendant agreed to Daniel's suggested, and tested them for 10 days. At the end of 10 days, Daniel and his three friends looked healthier and better nourished than the young men who had been eating the food assigned by the king. So after that, the attendant fed them only vegetables instead of the food, and the wine provided for the other. Do you know that there is a diet today that is a 10-day detox and weight loss plan where you only eat fruits and vegetables and drink water, and it's based on Daniel's diet. It's called Daniel's diet. You can get online and check it out. Now, I'm not endorsing it. I've never taken the diet. You probably to can tell by looking that I haven't taken the diet. I'm just suggesting to you that here we are in the 21st century A.D., and we're still looking back to this example for a, wow, this may work. I'm convinced that God blesses our lives and works through our circumstances when we try to do what is right, when we try to do it His way. So here's what I would suggest to you this week. At work, at home, at school, with your friends, try taking Daniel's approach to everything you do. Be strong mentally, emotionally, morally. Be strong. Be likable. Do your best to be a pleasant person to be around. Be discreet when you have a disagreement. Compromise when you can compromise where God hasn't said a a yay or nay. Compromise. Meet the person halfway. And be non-threatening when you have a disagreement. And when you do it that way, when you follow Daniel's pattern as Daniel followed God's pattern, I'm telling you, God will bless and life will be better than if you did it any other way.